today. I'm just going to give you an, a brief introduction, really not an introduction of the book of Timothy, just a, uh, well, let's call this a New Year's message called Enduring Hope. I do want to bring your attention to the book of Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter chapter 1. Um, as we ended this last series in First and Second Thessalonians, we ended the last two lessons and the last two messages, and literally the last two ser- sermons of last uh, this year, with uh, peace and grace. And this year, for 2024, my desire, my hope, is for you to find the hope which is in Christ Jesus. The hope which is in Christ Jesus. And uh, so so what I'm, I'm going with this morning is try to help you and uh, at least give you some, some information as to what hope is and um, why you're going to need it in 2024. As you probably have noticed, there's been a lot of things that have been going on around the world with Israel. Once uh, the, the war started in Israel, a lot of people started asking me, is, is this the end times? Is this the end times? And we talked about that, and it just so happened to, to fall right right when we were talking about the end times. And uh, Paul even explained to us, well, the end times aren't going to happen until certain things unfold. And we went over that in Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2 about the lawless one. And uh, if you'd like to go back and listen to that message, you can. And and uh, and so we, we looked at... Uh, We've, we've, we've seen not only the war in Israel, but the war in Ukraine. We've seen uh, politics getting so corrupt. We've seen uh, the, the social justice movement moving throughout the world. Uh, everything that is happening in Europe has been happening for a long time. As far as their borders being open, the money's being sent to Ukraine and to other places. Um, politics being so corrupted is happening now here in the United States. And, and if, if you keep track of how things are going on in the world, you're starting to wonder, okay, something's got to give. Gas prices are going up. Food prices are going up. Homelessness is going up. Drug addiction is going up. There's just so many things going up. And you wonder, how long can we endure this? Well, we don't know. We really don't know how long we can endure this. One thing I, I am sure of, and I, I'm pretty sure, um, I don't want to say this as a prophecy or prophetic or saying that I know what the future holds, but I know that in the past, uh, when election years have come up, they've always been very uh, troublesome, uh, really hard, you know, especially there's people that like the president, people that don't like the president, people that hate Trump, people that like Trump, people that like Republicans, and, you know, it's it's all part of the system. As I've said many times before, the, uh, the right wing of the government and the left wing of the government are both attached to the same bird. And we have to understand that it's not the right or the left that is governing who should win. Now, of course, there's some that have other some values than others, and how you vote, it's up to you. All I know is that as this year approaches, things are going to get ugly. And things have been getting ugly incrementally. Things have been going up incrementally. We, we see that in the school system. We see that in our societies. We see that in our checkbooks. And every time that we look into... Uh, the news. And sometimes I don't even want to look at the news anymore. As a matter of fact, um, I was uh, out of town this last week and somebody asked me, don't you live in Southern California? I go, yeah, I do. Do you, do you live close to the ocean? I go, well, yeah, kind of. I'm about an hour away. So are you guys getting affected by the tidal waves? And the, What tidal waves? What? Wa-? And, and so I had to look it up. Oh, wow. There's waves pounding on the southern coast, uh, southern borders of, uh, of Southern California. And I go, and it was pretty devastating. People were afraid that uh, I was going to get flooded in San Bernardino. You know, I don't know. Uh, and so there's just it seems like every time we got global warming we got the world economic forum that's trying to make one world of of everything and of, of all that we have our economics and our our justice system our politics 
the dollar is being uh, taken away. It's uh, now the the dollar is not the the currency of the world anymore, and so you know that deflates the the value of the dollar. And so again, all our jobs are going to China. All the all, everything is made in China or Korea or other places. Not and so over and over again, people are are starting to wonder. Okay, so what's going to happen? I really don't know, but I do know that before Christ comes, there's going to be a huge apostasy, number one, as we talked about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, there's going to be a huge apostasy. In other words, people are going to be leaving the faith. They're going to be going and following various types of other religions and ideas and thoughts and, and looking for signs and wonders, and signs and wonders are going to be performed by those that are going to be able to deceive even the elect, if it was possible. That's how genuine these uh, signs and wonders are going to be. And so... To put a little bit of, I guess, concern, not fear, concern in your life, I want to end this year and start next year with the one thing that we know is constant, and that is hope. Hope. And so for 2024, I will be talking about hope, hope in Christ, hope in uh, salvation, hope in the expectation of seeing Christ, hope in my confidence in his presence, hope in the, is the foundation uh, of all that we owe. Hope is what you need. Hope is what the world needs. Now, before we go any further, I have to distinguish the difference between what the world sees as hope and what the Bible teaches as hope. Because for most people, uh, we, we go according to what the dictionary, the dictionary has either a noun or a verb uh, definition of it, but the noun verb is a feeling of expectation and desire for certain things to happen. You know, like for instance, he looked through her belongings in hope of coming across some information. Some people hope to get a job or some people hope to find something of meaning. And so there are a lot of similar words that some people use like desire, expectation, wish, ambition, aim, plan, dream, uh, dreaming, yearning, craving, hankering. You know, those types of the, uh, the words that re represent the world word of hope. And then there's the verb, the action part, which is uh, we want something to happen or to be the cause. I hope It's kind of like saying, I wish this were to happen. I, I just, I mean, I, I wish to hit the lotto. I wish to get that promotion. I just hope I, I'm, I'm uh, going to do better this next year. And so there's this expectation of, of desire or hope, or, or it's, it's kind of like a, maybe it might happen and maybe it won't happen. And so when the Bible talks about hope, but the Bible says that people, first and foremost, cannot live long without hope. Hope is, uh, is designed in, in really in a nutshell, and we're going to cover all the aspects of it here in this message and in the ones to come, because this is one of the things that, that Paul is telling Timothy. He says, Timothy, I want you to know something, that the church, here, look at it with me, that the church in uh, chapter 3, that... Uh, Chapter 3, verse 14, and this is the center of Timothy. This is what uh, Paul is trying to get across to Timothy. It says, I hope, in other words, I expect, I'm looking forward to, I know that I'm going to see you soon. Uh, and, and he had this expectation of being there. I hope to see you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God a pillar and buttress of the truth. The pillars are the things that hold it up and a buttress are the things that hold the walls out. Make sure that the walls don't cave in and hold the roof up. And Paul says that the church is the truth and it holds the church up. And this is, this is the whole center point of what Paul is writing about. And he's going to talk to us about how to live well, how to select your leaders, how your leaders ought to uh, 
behave. And, and the things that, that you look for when you talk about a leader, how the church ought to behave. In 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and the book of Titus. These are three letters that Paul wrote from prison right before he died. And he knew, and he had this expectation, I'm going to see you. I, I'm, I have this hope and this desire. But just in case, just in case, I want to write these things to you so that you can have them and know them and teach them. Now, Timothy was a pastor in Ephesus. He was a young pastor. We'll find out later that he was having trouble with the congregation. The congregation was older. He was younger. Paul says, don't let them look down on your youth. You know, I know you got an upset stomach. Uh, You might have ulcers. I don't know if he knew that or not. But he says, drink a little bit of wine to cure you. It's medicinal. Don't get too drunk on, don't get drunk on wine, but just drink a little bit just for what you need. Timothy was very um, uh, young and inexperienced, but yet he had the confidence of Paul, which that's all he needed. If God has selected me, if God has chosen me, and if God has appointed me, and I have my mentor, and my mentor has my back, then I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So in a nutshell, we're going to talk about what Timothy is all about uh, in, in the coming weeks, months, if possible, on the how the church ought to behave. How did the church ought to conduct itself? How the church ought to work through the worship process and the selecting of your leaders and the behavior of the church and the behavior of those that have uh, riches and monies? As a matter of fact, this is where Paul states that the that money is the root of all kinds of evil. It doesn't say that money is evil. It said it's the beginning, the root. It's the greed. It's that which which other people want to uh, push out and and try to grab more because of it. And like I said, we'll, we'll talk more about that. But the very first thing I want to talk about is hope. Going back to 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul says this. And this is a, a very brief message because we're going to have a little potluck afterward. And I thank you for being here uh, with us. We're going to celebrate our noon year uh, <laughs> celebration. People say, oh, I can't make it to noon year. I say, I can't make it to new year. No, it's not new year. It's noon year. Oh, wow, that sounds pretty cool. So tonight we're going to, or this afternoon, we're going to pray out the old year. And we're going to count down to noon. And we're going to pray in the new year. And I pray that you stay with us and have some menudo, I think, is what we brought. And anything else, anybody else brought. Uh, if not, just at least pray with us. And uh, we'll pray for you as well. But the very first verse, this is all we're going to touch on today. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. Father in heaven, we know that God has commanded us, number one, first and foremost, to be saved. And we, as as your children have been elected and selected and we've been saved. And because of that salvation process, we have repented. That's the evidence of our salvation. We no longer walk in the way we did before. And that command of repentance is not a suggestion. It's not something that you would, re- would like for us to do. It is a command. And that command that your children, your elect, have followed through and are continuing on with, have learned how to do less with themselves and do more for you and for others. And I thank you, God, that you've uh, inspired Paul to be able to write this letter to Timothy so that today, 2,000 years later, we can have it and we can see what it was that he was going through and how he was speaking to Timothy and now how you, through your Holy Spirit, speak to us. And the very first and foremost thing that Paul points out is that your son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, is our hope. And more than ever, Father, we need that godly hope that only you can provide. The world is trying to give us various types of ideas and philosophies and governments and all these other, uh, other institutions that we can base our hope on, saving the planet as if this planet can be saved. 
being able to uh, manage our finances in a, in a way that is manageable by others. Father, we place our whole entire life and all our hope on you. So I pray that you lead us this morning in all things. And I pray, Father, that today, as we end with this, this message for this year, that we pick it up and run with it in the year to come. We thank you and we praise you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen. Hope is essential. Hope is the foundation of my life. Hope is, is, is an assurance of our salvation. Hope is a confidence of God's presence. Hope is an expectation of seeing Christ. And hope is something that you can build on your own through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not something that you can do on your own, but you can build because of what the Holy Spirit has done in you and will continue to do with you. Now, before I give you that formula on how to build that hope, I want you to take a breath and think, okay, do I really want to listen to this? Because it's not as easy as you think, but it is simple if you let the Holy Spirit do it. First of all, number one, life is meaningless without hope. Life is meaningless without hope. As a matter of fact, Paul told the people in Ephesus, he says in Ephesus 2, 12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. He's talking about the before we were Christians, before you were born again, before you were uh, awake. He said you were dead in your trespasses. In other words, you were so dead, there was nothing that you can do. You could not save yourself. A dead person cannot save themselves. A dead person cannot resurrect themselves. A dead person cannot come out of the grave. A dead person cannot uh, bring himself to life if he drowns or electrocuted. A dead person is dead. Dead, dead, dead. And a dead person cannot do anything. And Paul says in verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 2, you were dead in your trespasses. You cannot raise your hand to accept Christ. You cannot come forward and say a prayer. You cannot do anything. You will do those things because God has resurrected you and raised you up. And now you are repented and going in the direction that he wants you to. But you cannot do anything because you were dead in your trespasses. Verse 1, remember, he says, that you were at that time separated from Christ. You don't want anything to do with Christ. You're separated, you're dead, and you're separated. You might want the benefits of Christ. You want the eternal life. You want the guilt taken away. You want the shame removed. You want the power that Christ can give you. But... As a dead, vile, wicked sinner, I wanted nothing to do with Christ. I wanted the benefits. Oh, yeah, I'll go to church, get prayed for, I'll cry a little bit and come out. I'll feel better about myself and go back out and do whatever I want to do. He says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. And that's a great thing, too. Remember, at that time. Well, hope, I'm praying that it's not right now for you. I, I know that it was at that time. He says, you were alienated. From the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And that's how some of the people that run around without God is they run around hopeless. Life is meaningless without hope. You try to fill it with all kinds of other ideas and thoughts and, and everything else. As a matter of fact, when we went through 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we were talking about the, uh, the rapture of the church. And he says to them, you know, I don't want you to be uninformed like many of you are, are like many others. He says, I, I, I want you to understand this, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. In other words, those who have died. 
And it is very sad to see a loved one go. And I've seen people grieve when their loved ones have gone and moved on. And it is even sadder and, and hurts more when the person realizes and recognizes that that person is never going to see eternal life in heaven. And yes, people are uh, uninformed and wondering what's going to happen. But the believer that dies in Christ, the family knows, I know where he's going. And it's, it's interesting that a person, all he has to do today is die and they go to heaven automatically. And most people in, in, instinctively and intrinsically, they understand, they know that's really not the case. But Paul says, I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you are, the, you are not to grieve as others who do, have, uh, who do who have no hope. And it seems like those that really have no hope grieve in such a way and understanding that that would be the last time that they see their loved ones. You need hope in life. There's a rule of survival, and it's called the survival rule of threes. And the survival rule of threes says you can live three minutes without air or uh, in icy water. You can live three hours without shelter when the environments are really harsh. You can live three days without water. Uh, and you can live three weeks without food. But, beloved, you cannot live three seconds without Anybody caught in the worst survival place, and they realize, and, and this is just a guide to help a person that is out in the wilderness to realize, look, in other words, you have to, first and foremost, if you got three weeks without food, you can survive that. If you have three days without water, okay, you can survive three days. If you have three hours without shelter and it's cold, then, then you know, or three minutes without oxygen, then you need to start prioritizing. First and foremost, if you have no oxygen, I pray that you can get that oxygen back and get out of the water, whatever it is, and get breathing again. Second, you want to build some shelter. But before any of that, you have to have hope. Because without, without hope, you, you don't even have three seconds. So you'll give it up. So you know what? Just let me go. And it's unfortunate. That's how a lot of people live. You know what? I just don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. Life is meaningless without hope. As a matter of fact, when I was doing this, this message, I really had a lot of verses that I wanted to put out, you know, and I guess, you know, I'd like to be able to do that and, uh, and, and share with you all these various verses that, that have to do with hope and hopelessness or no hope. But let me go on to the second one. Hope is the foundation of my life. Hope is the foundation of my life. In Proverbs 23, verse 17 through 18, the writer says, let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut. Your foundation needs to be hope. Your fa- when you look around and you look at other people, and, and he says here, when, you, when your heart envies sinners, in other words, those that are seem to be doing well, those that are going about their business on a daily life and live a carefully life, he says, don't envy them. Don't do that. Continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. He says your hope is solid. Your hope is your foundation. Your hope is what you base your life on. Your hope is what Jesus Christ came to give his church. Because they were going through a lot of troubles back then as well. In 1 Timothy 4, 10. He says this, for, for to this end we toil, in other words, we serve and we work and we strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those 
who believe. And the work that we do and the work that we toil, we know that our foundation, it doesn't matter what happens, what they say, what they do, what happens in my life. I know that my hope is built and is set on the living God. And my foundation is set because I have placed my hope, all my hope, on the living God. This last week, I I ran into a a friend that we knew as couples. Uh, The husband had passed away. And, uh, and she was reminding me of, of uh, how, you know, uh, how rotten we were. <laughs> I'll tell you, hey, you guys were bad. You guys were bad. You and Danny, uh, unfortunately, he passed away a few years ago. You guys were terrible. And then, and then she says, and then you became a Christian. And Danny came home and says, can you believe that? Sal, out of all people, became a Christian? I go, yeah. <laughs> you know, who would have thunk it? Because I placed, I realized back then, somehow, some way, my hope couldn't be on this world, couldn't be on this, the drugs, couldn't be on the, the planet, couldn't be on work, on anything else, because it was hopeless. It was a hopeless situation. We place our foundation, our foundation is on, on Jesus Christ, who is our hope. In Hebrews 6.19, he says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Remember that the book of Hebrews, the writer is, is talking about and writes a lot about the temple and the curtain that he's talking about here is the holy of holies that nobody can go in but when jesus christ died and he and and the earth shook remember that the curtain was torn in two the veil was turned in two many people don't understand what that means but it was the curtain to the holy of holies all of a sudden everybody has access into the holy of holy the writer of the hebrew says that's where my anchor is on christ the solid rock i stand And my anchor is based upon Jesus Christ. And there is nothing that's going to move me out of there because my foundation is the solid rock of Jesus Christ. Number three, hope is an assurance in our salvation. Hope is an assurance in our salvation. For in this hope, we are saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Let's take that apart a little bit, okay? You see, if, if you have hope and you know, okay, you know, I hope when I get home, uh, you know, I'm going to have some tamales. And, and if you have some tamales in the freezer, well, guess what? You, more likely you're going to have them. Why? Because you saw them there. By the way, who got tamales this year? Did we get tamales? <laughs> All right. Yeah, well, I'm sorry that the rest of you guys didn't get any tamales. But you know what? Uh, I, th- I thought I had made a lot. You know, I'm sorry. But, you know, you, you're right now thinking, man, I hope when I get it, now I'm already making you hungry. When I hope when I get home that, you know, I have tamales in the fridge because I know they were there and I just, you know. And so, but you already know this. Hope that is seen is not hope at all. You already know that you could, I hope I make it home. Well, more than likely you will because, uh, you know, unless something drastic happens. But, but you have this expectation, this desire to uh, see that come through. I, I hope that my, my uh, football team wins. I didn't want to name a name. I didn't want to alienate anybody. <laughs> I hope they win. <laughs> they didn't win? Oh, okay. Well, good. Well, all right. I'm glad, I'm glad your team won. My, my team lost, I guess. <laughs> if your team won, my, my team lost. <laughs> I, I, you know, and, and that which you can see, that's not hope. Not, not the biblical hope. For in this hope, we are saved. You can't see salvation. You can't see heaven. You can't see. All you know is that you know that you know. And you got to build your faith on it, not because of what I said, but because of the, what the word says. Many times that we walk around in this world, we have this 
And I'm like, you know, I, I, I hope I'm saved. You know, I wish I'm saved. I, you know, I don't know. It's kind of like this uncertainty. And a lot of people walk around in, the, in this world hoping, and, you know, I hope I make it to heaven. I hope when I get there that God will just let me in. I hope that when, he gets, when I get there, he'll look at my, my bad stuff, and he'll look at my good stuff, and hopefully my, my good stuff will outweigh the bad stuff. And, and you know, maybe he'll just lower the, the fence just a little bit so I can just jump right over you know, and we, we base our, 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 our hope in salvation based upon a promise that somebody made to us. Oh, yeah, you accept Christ as your personal Savior, you're saved. Don't worry about it. And we base our salvation on, on a, maybe on something that our mom said. Well, you know, I'm a Christian, and so therefore you're a Christian. You're going to go to heaven. Or we base our, and you, you counted on many, I go to church. Because I go to church, then I'm saved, and I'm going to go to heaven. Beloved, there's only one way. Jesus said it to Nicodemus, no one can see the kingdom of God. Unless he is born again. You cannot even see the kingdom of God, let alone get in. You cannot even begin to live in the kingdom of God if you're not born again. And that, that is, that is a, a, an idea and a thought that many people have walked with. And basically, it just means you got to be different. You got to be regenerated and different than what? Different than what I used to. Well, I stopped, you know, uh, hanging out with all those people and I stopped gangbanging and I stopped, you know, well, that's good. I'm glad you did that. However, the change that God is requiring is an internal one where you become more and more like Jesus Christ. That's why I was so excited to pass out those certificates the other day of people that want to desire to become more like Christ by reading God's word. And, you know, we'll pass out more because your desire and your wanting to be more like Jesus and know the word is a huge indication of your salvation, of your regeneration. You know, I'm not saying yeah, that's that's it, but, there, you know, that's, that's a huge indication. You can't even see the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again. Look at this next verse in Romans 5.2. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And we rejoice in, in hope of the glory of God. So going back up to Romans uh, 8.24, now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But we hope for what we do not see. And you're waiting for it patiently. So therefore, now we have access and we rejoice in that hope, in that expectation of that knowledge, of that understanding, of that promise. doesn't matter what I feel like. There's times that, you know, I just don't feel like, a Christian, I didn't. You know, there's times that there's times that we don't feel even worthy enough. Sometimes, there's, but it doesn't matter on how I feel. I go back to the Word. But what does the Word say? What does God say? Number four in the back of your outlines. Hope is a confidence of God's presence. Hope is a confidence of God's presence. In Jeremiah 29, 11, many of you know this verse. God tells Jeremiah, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And when you have this confidence of God's presence, when you have this confidence that God is there, even in the darkest, loneliest times, there are many Fathers of the faith and believers that have gone on before us that have gone and written books about their, uh, their, will, their walk in the wilderness, they would call it. The darkness of the soul, as Brother Lawrence put it. And, and, and they would ex explain 
pretty much like everyone else that has gone through this, this, this period in their life where they sense that God has left them, that there's no answer to their prayer, that there is no presence available, there's no joy, and it's like my hope is almost gone. And somehow, somewhere along the line, somebody comes along and lifts them up. There was a message that I preached years ago about an eagle, and every once in a while I'll I'll go back to it. And and the eagle is an amazing creature. And it's it's interesting on how God uses that eagle in Isaiah chapter 40. For those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And the, the NIV says, for those who hope in the Lord shall renew their strengths. They shall mount up like wings of eagles. And these eagles are such such powerful and graceful birds. And there is one bird that scares them and scares them to the T. And it's the blackbird, the raven, the crow. And they chase after the eagle. And and what the eagle does is he runs and he flies as high as he can, straight into the sun. And these eagles, they have these these, uh, lenses, in a sense, these Polaroid glasses that flip, flip over. And they can see right through all the rays of the sun. But the birds behind them, they don't have that. And they get lost in the whole process of chasing down these eagles and they fly they don't fly i mean they glide they glide over everything over all the storms over all the troubles over everything that they have and every once in a while say 20 or 30 or 40 years into their life because these birds can live 60 to 100 years old somewhere halfway through their life they go through what's called a molting period and in the molting period, they start to lose their feathers. And a lot of the times that they, as they're losing their feathers, they, they, they lose a lot of their strength. And because they're losing their feathers and their strength, they can't hunt. And because they can't hunt and they can't fly and they can't get up to the rock that they are, they, they are accustomed to, they have this huge pinnacle of a rock. And every eagle has a nest way up high against the cliff of a rock. And they, and they stay up there because that's where their hiding place is at. And that's where their strength is at, at the rock. And, and as these eagles are down in this valley, in this area, uh, and, and people have seen where these, some of these eagles go in, and during the molting season, and there's nothing you can do for them. They have to go through this process. And, and as they're going through, their, their, their beaks start getting calcified. And, and it starts to grow, and they can't breathe, and their claws are getting all dried because they're not uh, getting into the water. They're not getting any minerals, and they, their claws start to hurt, and they fall over, and they just up and die. And, and it's interesting because what happens with a lot of these birds is that the, these eagles that are already have gone through this molting period recognize their fallen brothers. And what they do is they go out and they hunt. Now, an eagle will not eat anything that's been killed, anything that's been sitting there. There has to be fresh meat. And these eagles, they go out and hunt, and they drop these chunks of meat into this place where these eagles are molting. Now, the eagle has to get up, and he has to strengthen himself. He has to feed on this fresh meat, and he has to get his strength back up. And little by little, as they go through this molting season, their feathers, their plumes start the little ones and the white ones and the brown ones. They start to grow back, and they start to uh, ruffle themselves, and they start getting ready to, to just take off. And finally, they, you know, the eagles are all about them, throwing food. Ah, get up. Get, ah, you know, they're screaming at them. Get up. Get up. Get up. And uh, as much as they would like to, they'd like to grab these eagles and throw them out into the air and see if they can jump up. And it's amazing how these birds just watch over themselves. And and as they gain their strength and they start to flap their wings and and they're going as best they can. And finally, they get the the lift that they need and they they get up and they mount up and they get up to their, their cliff. And they hang on the edges of the cliff as best they can. And they start beating their beaks on the rock, getting all that calcification. First thing they do. And they beat their beaks and, and bloodied and it just starts to fall apart in their, their claws and everything else. And they, and they sit there and as the sun goes down, they bake in the sun with their wings wide open. 
Now, beloved, if that's not a picture of what a believer needs to do, if you have no hope, and it's amazing because not many of those birds make it out of there. Small percentage do because those birds have lost hope. There are people around you right now. There are people around that need this confidence of God's presence. They need to know that God is there. And they've experienced this year in such a way that has tore them up. And as as they've lost loved ones through 2019, COVID, 2020, uh, 2020 was a terrible year. They closed everything down. 2021, 2022. And there's people around you that need to know that that the only way to have this hope, this confidence, is to have this confidence that only comes from God. Jesus Christ is our hope. And this next year, beloved, this next year, you're going to need that kind of hope. Something's going to happen in your life, in your family, in your job. Something is going to take place. Some of you have already gone through much of it, and you've placed your hope in Jesus Christ. And people have come, and people want to come, and they want to encourage you and love you and, and help you get up. But you have to have that hope. Because that confidence in God's presence is what's going to help you to realize that God says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. God knows you're beginning from the end. Well, you know what? And, I, and I'm going to take that a little bit further. He knows everything from the beginning to the end. And he has you in mind when you have this confident hope. You, you know, Paul experienced a, a time in his life when he was almost dead and and he says you know we were shipwrecked we were starving they stoned me they you know i i was i I was bitten by a snake i was killed i was brought back to life and you know and and paul says this in second corinthians chapter one and ten if you get a chance you need to read this portion of that scripture he says he delivered us from such a deadly pearl and he will deliver us on him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again And he goes on to say, he did this to teach us how to depend on him. He allowed these things to happen, not because he hated me, not because he was mad at me, not because he didn't like me, not because he liked somebody else better, but he allowed these things to happen so that I can learn how to depend on him. Beloved, there's people around you that need to hear this message. That hope is a confidence of God's presence. Number five, hope is an expectation of seeing Christ. Hope is an expectation of seeing Christ. In Philippians 1.20, you know, and before I go there, just just to reiterate uh, what Paul is saying. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. Now, Paul's already discipled Timothy. Timothy walked around, and we'll, we'll learn this again you know, as we go through the book of Timothy. Timothy served under Paul. Timothy was Paul's right-hand man. Timothy was Paul's son in the faith. Timothy loved Paul. Paul loved Timothy, and he invested in Timothy. And so all these things that I'm sharing with you right now, Paul just says in one word. You know, uh, 
who is commanded by God, of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. You remember that, Timothy, that Jesus Christ is our hope because he's, he's going to stand with you, he's going to walk with you, and i got to remind you on how to do these things with the leadership, how to pick the leaders, how to live your life, how to be of good cheer because this is the hope that you have. And, and, and you know, one of the things that, that's going to happen throughout all of this, all, everybody's going to misunderstand you, nobody's going to like you, people, aren't gonna, people, people are not going to want to hear the truth in their sin. They're not going to want to hear that. But you keep preaching it. You keep teaching it. Don't get discouraged because one day, in spite of everything that's going to happen, your hope is an expectation of seeing Jesus Christ. He told the people in Philippi, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul says to the people in Philippi, and remember, when he wrote the book of Philippians, he was also in prison. He was in prison, wrote Philippians, Colossians, and he also wrote the, uh, the, the epistles, the pastoral epistles. That's what we're going to call them. First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus, the pastoral epistles. The pastoral epistles from prison. And he says, he says this, you know, and it is my eager expectation and hope. I know, I know that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body whether by life or by death. All Paul wanted is to bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ. That's all he wanted. Whether alive or whether dead. Whether it's something that he's going to be able to explain and show, or you know what, I'll be able to just, in my, I'm, I'm going to die peacefully. I'm just going to let them do what they do to me. And if you know the story, Paul was beheaded. His life was taken by a, a sword or an axe, or whatever it was they used. We don't have that in the Bible, but tradition tells us that he was beheaded. In Peter, this expectation of seeing Christ, Peter puts it in a very, uh, I, like, I like the way how Peter kind of sums it up. He says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his mercy, oh, excuse me, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Let me stop there for just a moment, because this is something that is kind of extra, you know, and, and I'm not going to charge you for it. Uh, you're probably saying, I'm going to pay for it anyway, so it don't matter if you say it or not. <laughs> but he says this, that blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. You see, you can't be born again. You can't just say one day, okay, I want to be born again. That's not the way it works. He causes you to be born again. Let me take you to a verse in John chapter 1. In the book of John, John chapter 1, verse 9. And again, like I said, this is kind of not in the vein I was going through, but I, I did want to, I do want to at least take the opportunity to show this. <clears throat> John chapter 1, verse, verse 13, 12, I mean, I'm sorry. It starts in, in 9, but let me just go straight to uh, verse 12. And it says here in John 1, 12, it says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, many people stop at that point. There it is. All you have to do is receive him. All you have to do is believe in him, and he will give you the right to become children of God. I, I, I want to receive him. I believe him. So, hey, God, give me that. I, I, I have that right. My right is to be your child because I said so. I believe. And I, I've also said it. I've said it, and I want to receive it. I believe and I receive. As a matter of fact, if you go a little a couple chapters later, 
John 3, 16, many people bring that one up. And John 3 says, God so loved the, you love the world that if we believe in your son, you'll give I believe. Give it to me. Because I have made up my mind today that I'm going to come forward, pray, and receive that which you have given me. But it's interesting. A lot of people stop right there because verse 13 says this. Let me go back to verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood. Let me stop there. In other words, you became a child of God, not because of blood, not because your mama was a Christian, not because your grandma was a Christian, not because your grandpa was a Christian or he was a pastor, not because of blood, of your heritage, of your lineage, not because you're Jewish. John says, not because of your, uh, your upbringing, it has nothing to do with your lineage. As a matter of fact, he goes on to say, nor of the will of the flesh. In other words, it's not because of what you did. It's not because of any prayer you did. It's not because of any work you did. It's not because of any, any, anything that you did. It's not my blood. It's not by the will of the flesh. You cannot even will this. You have no free will for salvation. Not by your will. But, he says, but nor of the will of man. In other words, not by flesh, not by what you want to do, not by what I want to do, not by my will, not by your will. I can't pray you into it. He says, but of God. It's God. And then he says it a little bit later. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How is a person born, first and foremost? Did you decide to be born? Did you decide to be a male or female? I guess nowadays you can. But did you, at birth, did you decide to be born to that mother and that father? Did you decide to be born during this time? Did you decide to be born as uh, in this generation? What did you have to do with your birth? You see, it's interesting because Jesus uses that same analogy. You know what? You, cannot, you have to be born again. And Nicodemus understood this. Well, what am I supposed to go back into my mother's womb and come back out again? Hey, nobody can do that. Ah, I'm glad you asked that question, Nicodemus. Because that's not how you're born again. That's how you're born the first time. But it's the second time, your new birth. And we we don't, you know, we don't gloat about this. We don't, you know, well, look at me. I, I was born. God may cause me to be born. That has, at least in my life and in those that I understand, understand this, that is very humbling because I'm a rotten sinner. I, I'm just a worthless, vile offender. And and to know that God caused me to be born again, I kind of reacted like my buddy Danny did. What, him? (laughs) Really? What, me, Lord? That is humbling. That's not a grounds for boasting. or That's actually more of grounds for me to want to do more for the Lord. Want to reach other people for the Lord. Give the gospel to other people. Because there are a lot of people out there, beloved, a lot of people that have not yet been born again, but they're, they're, they're at the process of and getting ready to when God decides to wake them up. And you need to be there. And you need to be there. And when that happens, you're going to rejoice in what God has done. Not in what you have done. I can't do it. My responsibility is to give you the gospel message. But let's go back over here real quick. That's another story. I mean, that's another, not story, but another message. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. You know, as a matter of fact, this 
God causing us to be born again. It's not me opening up my heart. I mean, this is the theme that goes throughout Scripture. Lydia heard the message of God, and and God opened her heart to receive the message. This is a theme that some people just seem to want to overlook. This is a theme that from the very beginning, your name was written in the book of life. This is a theme that we see at the beginning and at the end, all those who are not written in the book of life will experience God's wrath. And and, and to try to explain that and to try to get a a grasp, I, I don't know how God did that. I really don't. I don't know why he said that you were predestined from the foundations of the world. Uh, You know, that that just blows my mind. And that's before anything was created, you were predestined. I don't know why he says that. But I know he he does. I, I, I know that he says that, you know, he had predestined you to be conformed to the image of Christ. And those he predestined, he also chose. Those he chose, he called. Those he called, he, he, uh, he, he made him righteous. And those he made righteous, he also glorified. You know, and, and I, don't, I don't understand why me, to be honest with you, I don't. I look at some of you and I say, I don't understand why him. <laughs> I don't understand how that really all plays out. All I know is what the word of God says. And, and you know, and here's another thing. I've heard this before. Well, you're saying God predestined some to go to heaven and some predestined to go to hell. I says, no, that's, the Bible doesn't say that. First and foremost, that's not what the Bible teaches. You're accountable. You're responsible. He holds man accountable for that receiving or not receiving. And so how does that play into, well, how, you know what? And that's why we have studied and studied and looked at it. Because he will hold you accountable. So how do you put this together? Because we know that salvation is by grace, through faith. In other words, grace is undeserved. I know that there is not by works. There's nothing you can do for it. We know that. And and so we we trust and we know that God is sovereign. He does whatever he wants. He's in total control. And how those two come together, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know how that, but right now I've got this limited pea brain of mind of mine. When I get to heaven, oh, okay, Lord, I, I get that now. That's something in the mind of God. Kind of like the Trinity. The Trinity is in the mind of God. God. Jesus Christ is all God, yet he's all man. You mean he's the God man? No, he's not God and man, or he's not both God and It's not a mixture of he's all God and he's all man at the same time. I accept that by faith. There's a lot of things that the Bible teaches that I must accept by faith. And as he as he goes on here, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter understands all that he's been through, all that he's seen, all the stuff, all the stupidity that he did. I mean, you know, this is very revealing of Peter because he was not the model disciple. Okay? As a matter of fact, he's the one that denied Jesus Christ three times. First time, I don't know him. I don't know him. The third time, he called curses down upon himself. I don't know this blankety-blank man, the rooster crowed. He goes, oh, no. Oh, no. And Jesus is just looking right at him. This is the man that says, Jesus, I will die with you. And he didn't. This is the man that just spoke what he wanted to. And when they came to arrest Jesus, he pulled out a sword and tried to cut this guy's head off, and he missed, and he cut the guy's ear off instead. 
Must have had some big ears. I don't know. Couldn't miss that one. This is the guy that was very, that lied, is boisterous, you know, very, you know, to, he was very full of himself. He was a fisherman. Uh, he told fishermen stories. Oh, yeah, I had a fish about this big. Uh, you couldn't get it in, but uh, so we let it go. He was a fisherman. I'm sure he talked like a fisherman. He drank like a fisherman. He ate like a fisherman. He acted like a fisherman. And then he says, you know what? I know. I know that I'm going to see him. And uh, we have this faith that is being guarded through faith for our salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. I'm going to see them. Peter says, I was a rotten, dirty scoundrel. I was the vilest of sinners. And yet, I will see at the last time. Now, how do you build your faith? How to produce faith in your life? How do you do that? Number six. How to produce faith in your life. Very simple. Here it is. And um, this is what Paul says in Romans chapter 5. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, and that's, there's that hope that we rejoice in. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. To produce hope in your life, here are the steps. And the steps are rejoice in your suffering. When you're suffering for Christ, when you're suffering for the Lord, when you're suffering for things that, that you had no clue as to what to do, when, when, when everyone else has turned their back on you because you go to church or you love God or you read your Bible or you give money or you, you do mission trips or whatever the case may be for God, when everyone else is laughing at you and ridiculing you and, and you know, talking bad about you because you go to that church or this church or you believe this or that, do you really believe all that? When all that is happening, that is how you are endure and you ought to rejoice in that type of suffering. Now, there's a lot of suffering that people go through because of their own stupidity, things that we've done. You know, I, I remember there was a guy that uh, was dying of cancer, and he says, I know God is punishing me. And he says, no, no, these are your own choices. God's allowing you to go through what it is that you chose. He's not punishing you. Punishment was taken care of on the cross. That's taken care of already. This might be this, or this is just a reflection of your life. That's all that's, that's happening because of choices you made. You see, and, and there are a lot of choices that I made in my past life that I'm still dealing with today. But you see, when we suffer for the knowledge of God, what happens, we need, we need to rejoice in that. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. You know what that does? It just makes me stronger. You've heard that song, whatever kills you does it makes you stronger, what doesn't kill you does it make you stronger. Make you stronger, I forget. Anyways, it's not talking about Jesus Christ. But basically the, the idea is, you know, what, whatever it is that's coming and causing you to suffer, you build yourself up, it just builds you up stronger. You know what? I, I can go do all things through Christ. Because of his strength. And that endurance, that strength, produces character. And all of a sudden now you're thinking differently. Your mind is different. Your character is different. And God is more concerned about your character than he is your comfort. And for some people, it has taken a lifetime in prison to have their character changed to the way God wants it to be. Because he's more concerned about your character than he is your comfort. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. God is not out there to make you suffer and bleed and all that other stuff. That's not his intent. His intent is for you to learn. <laughs> and if it, that's what it takes, God's going to say, I'll, I'll do it. He says, I have all eternity. And, and if it takes me all eternity to get all this together, I, I'm sure you can do it in 
80 years, 100 years, whatever it takes, you know, for your life. I'm sure you can do it. And that's you just got to learn it. Because, you see, you got to rejoice in your suffering because suffering produces strength and endurance. And endurance produces character. And character is what God wants. He don't want you to have the old character. He doesn't want you to be a character. (laughs) He wants you to have Christ-like character. And the only way to have that produced is through endurance, suffering, and rejoicing. And at the end goal is going to be, it's going to produce your hope. That's the hope. When we go through the book of Timothy, Paul is telling Timothy, these are the things that I want you to do. Build that character in you. I know you're struggling. I know he was depressed. He was, he was anxious. He was young. He was inexperienced. But Paul had confidence in him. And you know what? God has confidence in you as well. That's why you're here. Let me ask you to stand. Because as we said, Jesus is the hope of this world. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. And in 2024, as it starts to unfold, and you start to see the things that are coming, base and build your life and your faith in the hope of Jesus Christ. Not in this government, not in the programs, not in any institution, not any school, not any job, not any built your hope upon Jesus Christ. God will use the government and the institutions and everything else to provide for you your job. But you know what? If that gets taken away, don't base that. That's, that's one thing that will never be taken away is the hope that we can have in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father in heaven, I pray that as we close out this year and we look to 2024, we recognize and realize that those that you have caused to be born again, that you help us to see how all of it comes together. That you help us, Father, to understand that, that this hope is not this wishful thinking. This is an expectation. We expect, we see. What, what is good is hope if you can see it. The hope that we base our life on is the hope that we cannot see. And that's on Jesus Christ. And Father, we, we walk by faith, not by sight. And I pray that in 2024, we can do that in our lives. I thank you, Lord, that we're able to end this year right here at this point in time in this message to begin next year in the same vein. So lead us in all things because we know that the church is the hope of the world. And I pray that you use this small church, this small group of people, to be able to proclaim that because there are people out there that need confidence in your presence right now. Once again, Father, we thank you for all that you do. We pray for the food that we're going to enjoy and celebrate in. And uh, as we pray out the old year, we want to pray in the new year. And we want to thank you for all that you do, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen. Amen.